The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This is Donald Trump. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd. Well, these terrible people. Joe and Matt Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, I've had too much iced coffee, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to THN, episode 259, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 15th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter, and when I'm not letting my father down on a weekly basis, talking about superheroes, men in tights, and monsters on the internet, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And my name is Joe Patrick. That's at Joe Patrick 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not hoping my dad isn't even aware of this show and the that Matt makes me say on a regular basis, I'm reliving my glory days as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee. We got some in Omaha, Nebraska. We got some doozies for your old man later here. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Joiners. That's with a Y. Number one, and Han Solo, number one. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's comics. Faster than the Trump campaign can fly itself into a mountain during the ludicrous speed round, then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I will resort to blood magic to save the life of Meatloaf and blood magic? Yeah, no choice, Man, I would do anything for love. (laughs) Can you you can't save that until we get to the actual thing? You think I didn't write that in the script? Hey, that's what editing is for. That's a Periscope exclusive. (laughs) And we'll be talking about next week's comics, too. And finally, Da Orca returns to tell you how to cash in on your comics and take the money and run. But before we embarrass our fathers any further, let's take a minute to wish all you dads happy Papa's Day! And then we'll talk about this week's Big News! Right? Wowzers. Less than a month into the relaunch, DC has announced the first crossover of its rebirth era. It's about goddamn time. Night of the Monster Men. Night of the Monster Man is a six-part crossover taking place in the pages of Batman, Nightwing, and Detective Comics. Just three books. Not too bad, right? No, no, no. That's all right. Now, Matt, are you ready to dive back headlong into DC crossover hell? Okay. I was looking on Twitter earlier this week. I follow Riley Rossmo. He's a very talented guy. Yes. He's doing a lot of the design and the art on this, and the monsters he was drawing are amazing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think... This sounds like... The story is putting the heroes of Gotham against a mystery-shrouded foe from the Dark Knight's past. I'm just reading this stuff from the interview. Yeah, yeah. It's going to begin in September with Batman number seven. It's going to continue in Nightwing five and Detective Comics nine forty one. Steve Orlando, who is writing Supergirl, is going to co-write the crossover with regular Batman writer Tom King, both of which we love. Nightwing writer Tim Seeley and Detective Comics writer James Tinney in the fourth. Okay, so we love. All those guys. And this yeah. doesn't just look like monsters. This looks like giant monsters, maybe attacking Gotham. <laughs> right. Like um, they described them as like basically kaiju yeah. monsters. And Riley Rossmo is designing all of the creatures. I'm wondering if it's going to be tied into the old. Well, there was a golden age uh, story that was like the monster men of Gotham. And then mm-hmm. they kind of redid them uh, in the last 
decade or so, uh, Matt Wagner right. did um, a couple of Monster Men miniseries, and they were all about Hugo Strange. They were awesome, too. And so I'm wondering if this is kind of like bringing Hugo Strange back into the mix. I don't remember his M.O. being like actual monsters. What is Hugo Strange going to? Yeah, I think the Monster Men in that one, they were like psychological. They weren't actually monsters, I believe. But this, regardless, I mean, the, the the name kind of invokes that. No, I'll give you those that. old stories. So I'll give you that. I just I don't know, man. What ha- I get it when giant monsters attack Metropolis. Superman is there to deal with it. What does Batman do about giant monsters? Um, well, I don't know, man. In Batman uh, number one, he tried to stop a plane from falling out of the sky by himself. Okay. So I suppose that's I true. I mean, it didn't work out, but <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> Joe Patrick, it's finally happened. After announcing Superman would take an on-screen role in Supergirl's second season, building off his blurred, it was more like shaded cameo yeah he was the sun was to his back you couldn't see his face the cw show has announced that it's found it's man of steel former teen wolf star tyler hoechlin former teen wolf tyler hoechlin yeah i don't know if star would be the right word i mean i don't know mtv's team i don't know what part he played on teen wolf tyler hoechlin played Derek hale on all 61 episodes of mtv's team his alternate name was young Derek hale He played young Derek Hale. He played young Derek Hale. D says he was not the Teen Wolf. No, he was not the But Teen I just Wolf. like to call him former Teen Wolf Tyler Hoechlin. He is a hunky dude. <laughs> he looks like Superman. I mean, he kind of looks the part. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have to shave. He can't be this, like, scary looking, I guess. But. Well, sure. I mean, he looks... Oh, he was the kid from Road to Perdition. He was the young kid in Road oh, to Perdition. Okay. Right. He's all grown up and hunky now. As far as bringing Superman onto the show... I do think it kind of sucks because... Yeah, you bring Superman onto Supergirl, who's the star? He's not going to be on the show forever. He's only on for a couple episodes, but when you bring Superman onto this show, the show immediately becomes about Superman. And let me ask you this. Supergirl's moving from, what was it, ABC? CBS to the CW. From CBS to the CW. Yeah. Smallville was on the CW. I don't give a about Smallville. Sure. But why do you not? Get Tom Welling to make an appearance <laughs> as Superman. Uh, because then you, in people's minds, you you make a statement that Smallville and Supergirl take place in the same universe. What's wrong with that? And nobody wants that. Who cares? Because Smallville sucks. I'm not saying it doesn't suck, but who cares? Really? Arrow shows up on the Flash all the time. And Arrow sucks. I love the Flash. Doesn't take anything away from that. I don't know. I like it would have been kind of fun in like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of way to have Tom Welling come back, but. I don't know if he really has any interest in doing that. What else is he doing? What is he on Broadway? Well, are, I don't know. <laughs> are, are they still cranking out those uh, sequels to those Steve Martin movies where they have 18,000 children and uh, he's like the oldest one? I don't think so. It's called like 18,000 Kids and Counting or oh, something. Oh, I remember. <laughs> I remember. No, it's uh, Cheaper by the Dozen That's is right. what it's called. Yeah. Well, honestly, it just sounds like he's going to show up for the two-part premiere and then be like, sorry, Supergirl, I have to go to space. You'll never see me again. I mean, unless people really like it, then I'll pop back up for the season finale. Sure, right. (laughs) Like, I've I've never seen the guy act. So just based on visuals, he looks the part. But Supergirl struggled enough without having to make constant references to her cousin. Right. That I just don't, I feel like it's a step backwards to say, and look, here's Superman. Here's a ratings boost. At the same time, I don't think you can avoid it. Yeah. Superman has to show up sooner or later. Do other characters. Yeah, they have to. You can't have a Supergirl have world. Robin show up. Well, I'm just saying you can't have a Supergirl world without Superman. Sure, but it's enough to know he's there. You know, I don't know. It, 
it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Good people at CW disagree. Well, what do they know? <laughs> My spider senses are starting to tingle. Get ready, Matt. Marvel has revealed the true title of its previously announced Amazing Spider-Man story, Dead No More. The story's actual title will be dun, 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 The Clone Conspiracy. And it will focus on the return of the Jackal, Spider-Man's old nemesis, who is obsessed with cloning Spider-Man. And not dead anymore. Or, or I should say, and not dead no more. He's dead. No, he's not dead no more. He's dead no more. <laughs> he's not dead no more. Not dead no more. <laughs> In the clone conspiracy, Jackal's plans may go beyond cloning and could possibly include full on resurrection of some of Spider-Man's loved ones. <sighs> Matt, are you ready for an army of Gwenpools? Well, when they get to Uncle Ben pools, I'm going to be upset. You may remember the Jackal as the mad scientist <laughs> behind Ben Pool. That's a way better name. <laughs> You're right. You may remember the Jackal as the mad scientist behind the Clone Saga. It was the infamous 90 story where Peter was replaced by his own Jackal created clone who believed himself to be the original Peter. It was a mess, to say the least. The villain has recently been a mysterious, unidentified presence in Amazing Spider Man, gathering some of Spidey's top foes, including. You guessed it, the rhino and the lizard to his side. Despite the deep dive into Spider-Man continuity, Spidey writer Dan Slott ensures fans the clone conspiracy is a perfect place to start reading Spider-Man. You know, I don't... Uh, <laughs> I find that kind of hard to believe. Yeah. Well, here, here's a quote. Here's a quote straight from Dan Slott. All right. As much as there's all these touchstones for people who have been reading the book for a long time, there will also be great jumping on points for people who have been Spider-Man fans their whole lives. So it's going to be like Spider-Man clone saga point one, point two, yeah, point three, right. point ten. Who want to come back and see what we're doing. When you jump into the prelude issues or the series proper, it will take you by the hand and lead you into this fresh hell. And quote, at least he admits it. <laughs> the clone conspiracy will receive its own five issue miniseries co-written by Slot and Christos Gage with art by Jim Chung. That's awesome. It launches in October and it'll also tie in, of course, to Amazing Spider-Man 19 through 23 and Amazing Spider-Man annual number one. Okay, so five issue miniseries. Five issues of Amazing Spider-Man and an annual. So we're looking at 11 issues. Yeah. Basically. The original, clone, well, it wasn't even the original Clone Saga. That was in the 70s. But the Clone Saga that everybody. The infamous Clone the Saga. The nightmarish Clone Saga. That thing lasted four years. Yeah. And several miniseries. And, oh. Oh, my God. Every book. Yeah. One shots. It minis. Was insane. And like half the time it was like. It, hollow foil. If they can do it in 11 issues and tell a fun story and they don't do a bunch of point ones and a bunch of miniseries and a bunch of like Daredevil Clone Saga tie-ins, I'm fine with it. So what, uh, in general, what do you think about the idea of revisiting old events and kind a, of like I don't have any problem following with, up on them or looking at them from a different perspective? If Dan Slott's doing it, I don't have a problem with it because every time Dan Slott has said he was going to do something like, I'm going to kill Peter Parker. I'm going to replace Peter Parker with Dr. Octopus. Every time we were like, oh my God, oh my God. And then it turned out to be like one of the best things you ever read. The Amazing Spider-Man is in a different place right now where, you know, Peter is famous and Peter's an inventor. He's sort of become like Tony Stark 2.0, if you will. And it's fun. I admit it's not the same Spider-Man, but I'm having a lot of fun with the book. Are you up to date? Not totally. I'm two issues behind. Because I have not been following Spider-Man regularly since before the relaunch. Okay, I'm two issues behind, but everything that I've read, I've really been enjoying. 
And I'm not worried about this. I mean, and it's not that I'm not interested. It's not that I don't love the book or Dan Slott. It's that it comes. I feel like it's out almost every week. It's not. It's coming out it's a every, lot. It's every. It's two week, every or two weeks. Two issues a month. Which is going to be the same as Superman, Wonder yeah, Woman, I know. and Batman. And I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall behind on those two because yeah. I just. I have such a hard time staying caught up. What I guess what I'm saying is if they're going to have this new status quo for Peter, I think it's fun that they dive back into the well to deal with old characters like the Jackal and the Clone Saga to see how new Peter deals with it. Sure. I think it could be fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. And, you know, instead of like the Jackal wearing a ridiculous green monster outfit right. or being in the 90s, he was like mutated into an actual like Jackal man. Go figure. Uh, in this new one, he's like wearing like a very slick suit and he's got like an Egyptian jackal mask. Yeah. I mean, he it, it's kind of a, a neat take. He's updated. And I think it could be fun whenever anyone says, and we're going to touch on threads from the clone saga. I think for readers like myself, the hairs stand up on the back of our yeah. necks and we just go, oh, that can be scary. there are some things I should just be left in the past. And maybe that's one of them. But I trust Dan Slott. Jim Chung, that's some powerhouse artwork. Yeah. So I think it could be good. We're all clones, all the one and all the one and That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums, or hopefully Joe hasn't discovered the photos I posted of him in his Scarlet Spider cosplay at last year's O Comic Con. It was adorable. Homemade. (laughs) Blue hoodie, red tights. There you go. Every Sunday, my favorite spider clone, Joey Patrick, posts the question of the week and Everyone's favorite digital spider clone repository, the THN forums. I like to think of it as the internet version of Aunt May's apartment in Spider-Man and his amazing friends okay. where they like flip the switch and everything yeah. turned into crime busting equipment. Yeah. Equipment they never used. Well, yeah, yeah. What do they need it for? They looked at the screen. That was about it. So basically they needed a TV. Joey, what are we asking these nerds this week? This week's question comes from Jim Catnerd, who writes, quote, after Joe and Matt made the distinction that the next Kolchaka book is officially a capital R romance. That's true. It got me thinking, what is everyone's favorite romance comic? Now, he wants to distinguish it here as something that could actually be qualified as being in the romance genre, not just like... I really like Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon. So it's got to be like Secret House of Mystery Romance or something or like. Hey, man. Okay. If you don't have an answer, don't call in. I suppose that's true. Yeah. Okay. I like it. All right. I don't. I, think, I have an answer. We've never. Do you really? I, I sure do. I don't know that I do. Check this out, guys. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, June 24th. That means if you call after five o'clock, it's over. Yeah. Now. Some of you may have noticed that your calls did not make it into the answer of the week this week. That's because we're putting our foot down. Holy smokes. You can't be calling like Saturday morning. Not to mention you had two weeks to answer last week's call. So there was no excuse. You can call our ziggurat hotline at 402-819-4894 and you can leave us a message. If you're pretty sure you're not a clone, you can send us an MP3 to two headed nerd at gmail.com. But guys, Girls, keep it under two minutes or you're going to get cut off. Those are the only rules before five o'clock and two minutes or under. Oh, and we ask that you please address the actual question. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. And then 
Tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's review time in the Ziggurat where Matt and I review two of this week's comics instead of planning anything nice for our dad. Those guys. <laughs> Matt, what are you reviewing this week? This week, I had no choice but to review Star Wars Han Solo, number one from Marvel. It's written by Marjorie Liu with art by Mark Brooks. This was 32 pages for $3.99, your standard Marvel comic book. Han Solo is my favorite Star Wars character, not stupid Boba Fett or his dumb Kiwi dad. Han and his best friend, Chewbacca. It's about time we got a Han series, and this one just happens to be drawn by Mark Brooks. Now, Mark Brooks is not a name you see very often outside of his amazing cover work, and I can't honestly remember the last time he drew a whole comic. The last time I remember seeing him drawing interiors with regularity was years ago when he was drawing stuff like Ultimate X-Men. Yeah. But that was, he was... He was not the Mark Brooks that he is right. today. That was, he was good. He has developed so much farther from yeah, that point. He was very good, but he's not the guy that he's become. Brooks is perfect here, packing each page full of aliens and ships while holding on to the look and feel of the Star Wars U that Marvel's developed. Even when drawing Han, he resists photo referencing, but still captures young Harrison Ford and young Carrie Fisher, who he just makes gorgeous. She looks beautiful. <laughs> but makes them look perfect without going to that uh, Salvador La Roca photo reference that we've seen so many times. We're like, okay, well, I obviously know who this character is supposed to be. I would argue Brooks has two of the toughest jobs in drawing both Chewbacca, who he just nails, and the Millennium Falcon. Inside and out, the Millennium Falcon is covered in tech detail, and Brooks' draftsmanship here captures the ship perfectly. Every light Every weird little angular piece of technology, every satellite dish, it looks like the Millennium Falcon. All the ships look and great. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, all the ships do, but the Millennium Falcon looks like it's just jumbled together technology in the shape of like a dish. <laughs> you know, the story is pretty simple. Han is hired to race in a cosmic cannonball run and pick up three rebel agents on three mandatory refueling planets because the Empire won't expect Han and Chewie. Even though this story does take place after the Battle of Yavin, where Han was fairly instrumental in the destruction of the first Death Star. Hey, maybe the Empire is still sorting out their paperwork. I don't know. Regardless, there's some great Han and Leia moments here. All those people are dead. They don't know. <laughs> Marjorie Liu has a perfect handle on all of the characters and their personalities. And it left me wondering how I fell so far behind on my Star Wars reading. Oh, dang, these are some sexy Twi'leks. I have got... To catch up on all the Star Wars books. This was damn near perfect, fun to read, and just a great character study of Han, Leia, and Chewie. I'm giving Han Solo number one a buy it. Okay, so here's the deal. I felt really good and really accomplished because I was up until <laughs> two o'clock in the morning finishing up all of my writing for the show. Can you just say you didn't read it and save everyone some time? But I forgot to read <laughs> Han Solo. I got all my stuff done. I got my script written. I got all the news gathered. My reviews posted in the Good main script. God, man. And I, yeah, Joe didn't read it. Patrick, there that's the nickname strikes again. Um, it looks gorgeous. Like I flipped through it. It's beautiful. It really is. It, and I'm excited to read it. I love Marjorie Lou, but yeah, I'm sorry. I can't read it. Joe Patrick. 
don't you tell me about your review for this week? All right. This week, I am reviewing The Joiners, number one, from Arkea, a.k.a. Boone Studios. Written by R.J. Ryan with art by David Marquez and colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. In 2062, Northern California, technology mogul George Joyner stands on the brink of revolutionizing American life again with his latest high-flying creation. But just as business booms, George's private life begins to implode with devastating consequences for his wife, Sonia, their children, Rochester and Michelle, who names their kid Rochester. It's and the future, man. Sonia's People name their kids dumber <laughs> than that today. Sonia's ailing father, David. Unfortunately, his family life is a mess and his wife, Sonia, has had enough. Can George pull it together before she decides to leave him for good? All right, we got it through this list there. I'm good. Now, I remember seeing ads for this book a few years ago, just as David Marquez was starting to make a name for himself at Marvel. Back then, it was a 3D graphic novel. So it was black and white or not black and white, but what do you mean 3D? Like you wore glasses? Yeah, it was. So it was. I thought I. OK, I duo thought, duo chrome, right? right? Which is what you would need for 3D, uh, but not in full color. And it and it was a, like a hardcover graphic novel. OK, now Arkaya has repackaged the original graphic novel into a four issue limited series with full color by Bitch Planet's Kelly Fitzpatrick. The book opens in the future, farther in the future than before. As Sonia Joyner finalizes her divorce from her husband, who has apparently done something heinous and illegal. But before we get a chance to find out what happened, we flash back to happier times, though I guess they really aren't all that happy. George Joyner is essentially the Steve Jobs of the future. He's about to release a truly revolutionary invention on the public that will change the world forever. There's not a lot of exposition explaining what George created. It's something to do with like individual flight technology. Yeah, they just keep calling it the machine. It, I don't even th- I don't even know if the what of it is the important thing. Right, but I also feel like maybe they're keeping it secret from the reader. Maybe, maybe like, it'll play. Maybe this. it'll come into play later. Yeah, maybe it's not the point, but we'll find out either way. Uh, in in one beautiful page that was ripped right from the All Star Superman playbook, Ryan and Marquez illustrate that the creation and release of this invention is a truly historic moment in a series of four stacked panels showing let's call them monumentous uh, discoveries and inventions throughout monumentous or monumental monumentous monumental uh, monumentous is a word monumental monumentous <laughs> monumentary <laughs> but the joyful moment is all too brief as we quickly learn the cost of joiner's genius and the way his family life has taken a backseat to his work and suffered for it Joyner goes to the office, he briefs his team about where the company's headed, and then he heads home to his family, and along the way we get more glimpses of the choices he's made and the toll they've taken on his personal life. There's an excellent splash page that is a simple diagram of how George's mind is divided among different thoughts. 1.8% devoted to feelings of hunger, Uh, about a total of 19.2% Devoted to different thoughts about his family. It was so cool, too, because it was like a pie graph and they had his brain segmented into how much was thinking about each part. Oh, so like, yeah, 19.2% devoted to different thoughts about his family, including when his ailing father-in-law will finally die. Yeah. And what kind of impact a divorce will have on his finances. How he's attracted to the new uh, (laughs) behavioral therapist that's working with his his son. Or daughter. Daughter, sorry. Then there's the 1% permanent minimum, it says. 1%. 
devoted to the time he had to kill a man and got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't pick up on that again. Nope. <laughs> Maybe they will. The fun part, though, is wondering if it's going to matter or if it's just one of those fun little like graphic throwaways. Yeah. Ryan does some wonderful character work throughout the issue, and almost none of it paints the main characters in a positive light. They're needy, selfish, driven, narcissistic people that just happen to inhabit this future world. There's no real action. There's no aliens or ray guns. And aside from the setting, there's barely any real science fiction at play at all. It's just a compelling examination of a gifted and driven man and the consequences that that drive has taken on his life and the lives of those around him. The art by David Marquez is a far cry from what you might find in the pages of Civil War II, and that's a good thing. Here, Marquez's figures and facial expressions, they're deceptively simplistic. Yeah. They're clean and uncluttered. But I think they were supposed to be, too. Yes. His modern work is beautiful, but this work is completely different, but equally beautiful to the fully rendered action style that you'll find in his modern books. It's almost like... This is the Apple store of comic books. It's yeah. very sleek. Yeah. Not very many lines. And but you can look at it and it reads exactly like what it's supposed to. Yeah. I mean, there's characters that don't even have mouths. Sometimes. Yeah. The, the facial features just kind of drop away. Yeah. Uh, for effect instead of like being usually when they're showing an emotion like he'll 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 have his head hung down and he's, you know, contemplating or whatever. And then he'll have no mouth. Yeah. That's the cover. The colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick replace whatever duochromatic look was present in the 3D work. It's not overly flashy with effects, but instead Fitzpatrick's palette is a soft complement to the line work. It's sort of an odd, this is sort of an odd choice for a main review being a repackaged reprint of a graphic novel. But I really found myself drawn into this story and I'm dying to see what happens to the joiners going forward. I wanted this I was curious about this graphic novel when I saw the ads and I never actually saw a copy on the shelf or I never made the effort to order one. Uh, and now that it's out in this form, I am very excited to get into the story. I'm giving it a yeah. buy it. I really liked it. I really liked it too. And it felt very intelligent, very mature, very well written and almost as if they decided we're going to let the dialogue steer the story and let the art play a, a minor role really i mean like because the art was like you said so stripped down even the coloring man though but what they did just to set the story up and the little tidbits they dropped even the end of it it's not like a big cliffhanger but i have to see what happens next and i love that boom is going back and grabbing things that people didn't pay enough attention like this and re-releasing it in a different way to see if it'll work better i'm giving this a huge buy it and i can't wait to read this whole thing so that is a double buy it for the joiners and a single buy it because Joe Patrick can't be bothered to remember to read it for Han Solo. Now, it's time for you tech moguls and scruffy looking nerf herders to play critics. So head over to the THN forums.boards.net and tell us what you thought about these comments. We've been very vocal in our critiques of Donald Trump and the bat crazy conspiracy garbage he vomits. So it was only a matter of time before Matt and I were placed in the fake billionaire sites. It seems that Matt's tweet alerting PETA that Mr. Trump was wearing a triple on his head, which I have proof of, was a bridge too far. And now the hate monger and the sons of the serpent are hot on our tails. So join us now while we review 10 more of this week's comics as we run from these super white supremacists during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed. 
Go! Green Lanterns, number one from DC. Sam Humphreys takes over GL featuring Simon Baz and his partner, Jessica, whose name I can't remember. And Jessica Cruz. Jessica Cruz, thank you. And there has to be something else we can do with these characters other than reveal yet another new GL power and Psy. Have the Red Lanterns causing more havoc. I'm tired of the ongoing Jeff Johns Rainbow Lanterns causing problems all over the universe. It's like they're the only things wrong with the universe. I know. Can we please just get back to good space cop stories? Where is the core? The real Green Lantern core. Not the one that's constantly screwing over their own people and getting taken down from within. I'm not sure who's worse at their job at this point, honestly. The Lanterns or S.H.I.E.L.D.? This is really good art by Robinson Roca, though. I like Sam Humphreys, but I don't need him aping Jeff Johns. For now, Green Lanterns gets a low skimmit. A low skimmit. Batman, number one from DC. Tom King takes the reins of the solo Batman title alongside artist David Finch in this issue. King's Batman is confident and hyper-capable, but also not unwilling to reach out for help. However, when that help is unavailable, the Dark Knight is willing to sacrifice it all to save a plain load of people, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Luckily, a last-minute reprieve comes from an unlikely source. Spoilers, Batman does not die in Batman number one. Oh, you ruined everything. <laughs> I liked King's take on Batman and the few members of his supporting cast that we see in this issue. Finch's art is troubling. I Remember when we loved David Finch? I remember when we were young and foolish. Was that what it was? Because I feel like if you go back, it was better. Well, here's the thing. He's a very stylish artist. I, I agree. And that style is on full display here, but it can't always cover up for the things that are wrong. And here there are a number of shortcomings when it comes to storytelling. It's not all bad. There is a great page where Batman grapples down to the Batmobile and then takes off through the city. I thought that was very well That was done. cool. That was cool. But there are so many big moments that read much more bombastically in the script than they come across in the way that Finch paces his layouts. Nice use of bombastically. Thank you. It's just like the Batmobile is racing through the streets so that Batman can hit a jump at just the right time to sail off of a bridge and then eject onto a moving plane. And the actual, like... It's all physics and geometry, Joe. It's not my fault that you didn't pay attention in high school. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not saying... I'm saying that, like, that should have looked amazing. Right. Yeah, that should look incredible. But all of those panels leading up to Batman landing on the plane... Ejecting. It was just, like, so cramped. Well, I think we can all agree that that's not what David Finch does. He's never been the action guy. He's always been kind of pose guy. Wrong choice for this book, then, I I'm agree. saying. I agree. I nearly forgot to mention that the amazing Jordi Belair is lending her considerable talent to this series, and she makes every artist look better. So, hey, it's not a total wash. I'm still giving Batman number one a buy it because I think this book has a lot of potential, and I want to see where King goes with it, and I'm not really the sort of person that immediately writes off a book just because I'm not super fond of the art. It's not that he's... It's not that he does not have talent. It's that I just don't think he's a great comic book story. His talent. talent is not working here very well. Yes. Green Arrow, number one from DC. Speaking of strange uh, storytelling art, there's something going on with this comic. Isn't the same artist from the special? Yes. Okay. I can't quite put my finger on it. Again, we get an almost comical pose moment like right off the bat. Like the fist bump? Almost exactly. Yeah. But the story is pretty solid. I like that Ali is starting to remind me of his old hippie self, but I can't call it great yet. This is pretty cool with these mole people rounding up and auctioning off the homeless of Seattle. 
Otto Schmidt is fantastic on the art, but he does have a couple of strange transitions where Ollie would be doing something and the juxtaposition is just weird enough that I'm like, did I miss a page? <laughs> like, what happened there? <laughs> this is a huge step up from the previous GA title, but that's not saying a whole lot. I don't quite love this yet. He did have a very solid last page and the return of a character that I love, at least I think it was a return. Green Arrow, oh, number God. one, gets a buy it. Super curious to read it now. I'm just not sure how I feel completely. Okay. <laughs> That's Superman, number one from DC. Superman is dead. Long live Superman, or at least some version of him. Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason kick off the new slash old Man of Steel's ongoing series with a quiet moment that pushes the mystery of the multiple Superman forward a bit. Then it focuses on the developing powers of young Jonathan Kent, the super son. I loved everything about this issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still don't get how this is all going to work out with the various timelines and Mr. Oz and Dr. Manhattan and whatever the hell else they throw in this mess. But everything from the dialogue to the way the character is depicted on the page screams Superman to me in a way that the new 52 version never, ever did. I am feeling a lot better about it, too, as we go. The back half of the issue is from John's perspective and his fear, shame, and wonder really come through. There's a heartbreaking scene where he, he discovers his heat vision. It's bad. This is great work, both in story and in art, by some amazing talents. Superman is in good hands with this team. Buy it. Are you talking about the part where he accidentally murders Crypto? At the, yeah, he totally <laughs> microwaves Crypto. <laughs> X-Men Civil War 2 or Civil War 2 colon X-Men number one from Marvel. Let the obligatory Civil War 2 tie-ins you don't need to read begin! We all get it. The heroes are split down the middle and fighting each other yet again. But Magneto's team was already operating without the X-Men's approval, so showing them not agreeing with Storm's team whichever one she's leading now, isn't exactly shocking stuff. Extraordinary X-Men? Maybe, I don't know. The plot felt forced, the art was not great, and whoever put those red sunglasses on Iceman needs to lose their damn job. <laughs> Spend your $4 on anything else. Leave this on the stands. I'm sad to say, Colin Bunn wrote it, and he's becoming go-to guy for these obligatory you know, like, one-shots. I just feel like... They bring in a guy to put words into bubbles. Yeah. And, like, they already have their story planned like out. But the thing that Storm and Magneto, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's going to read it, but the thing they butt heads about is, like, so dumb. And it doesn't even make sense. Like, shut up. I just saved your life, asshole, type moment, you know? <laughs> Titans Rebirth, number one from DC. All of the level-headed reviewers out there are totally right. This is nothing more than a series of very similar moments, courtesy of Dan Abnett and Brett Booth playing on the nostalgia of a very specific percentage of the reading audience. But I'll be damned if I don't fall squarely in that demographic. Objectively, yes, this is 20 pages of repetitive pandering disguised as a story. Like with most of the Rebirth one-shots, you could probably skip it and head straight into the upcoming series. But I can't lie, I got a real charge seeing Wally West reunite with his long-lost friends. And for better or for worse, DC knows who its core audience is right now, I just hope that they can find something to offer to readers that don't already have 30 plus years worth of fandom to cling to. Titans Rebirth number one gets a skim it. I got a hot take. What's your hot take, Matt? Here's my hot take. The Titans, they don't work anymore. Stop trying to do it. Doesn't work anymore. It was a stuff of legend. Sure. Doesn't work anymore. Why don't they work, though? Because they're not Teen Titans. They're too old. It's done. Well, but they're not the Teen... Hot take. It's done. 
That's Let it a, go. That's a hot take from Matt Bomb. Hot take. <laughs> Tales from the Dark Side, number one from IDW. This was my pick of the week. And while Gabriel Rodriguez was amazing on Art as Usual, the story didn't do a whole lot for me. Here, a young slacker lifeguard falls asleep after partying too much, and a swimmer with a bad heart dies. Swimmer's husband blames the lifeguard, even though husband knew she had a heart condition. And then everyone the lifeguard looks at starts falling asleep. Lucky for him, he was in a Shakespeare play right before he graduated high school and still had the sad character mask that he wore in the play so he could put it on to become the sleepwalker. To be fair to Joe Hill, this was adapted from his script for the failed Tales from the Dark Side revamp he was working on, but it felt like too much setup and not enough dark side. I'm giving this a skimming. Vote Loki, number one from Marvel. I don't really understand the marketing and scheduling decisions of these major publishers. I can't imagine why they thought the time was right for a lighthearted skewering of the American democratic process. How is it not right? I, I mean, I understand <laughs> I understand the timing. Okay. We are in the grips of the most nightmarish presidential election in history. But who thought this would stand out against a sea of civil wars and rebirths? Regardless, that is not my problem. This was a lot of fun and eerily reminiscent of the cult of celebrity that seems to be steering this year's election. Really, you could have replaced all references to Loki with Donald Trump and it would have been damn near autobiographical. <laughs> Except that Loki is coming across way more good natured than, than Trump would be. Whoops. Excellent work from writer Christopher Hastings and artist Langdon Foss. I don't know what's going to come of it, if anything, but I'm giving Vote Loki number one a buy it. Transformers till all are one. Number one from IDW. I check in with the IDW Transformers at least once a year, and every time I do, I am blown away by the depth of the story. It's bizarre, I know. I'll admit to being completely lost here with Margaret Scott's story of Justice Starscream and his mindless lobotomized police force trying to maintain peace with the different tribes of bots that have returned to Cybertron. But there is great art here from Sarah Petra Durocher. I'm sure I said Whoa. that wrong. And a Fresh. page in the back matter that shows exactly what you need to read to get to this point. Great idea. I'll say it again. If I were to make the choice to drop everything that I read and only read IDW's Transformers U, I think I'd be perfectly happy. This is a great book with a great story. It proves that you can take any characters and make them awesome. Okay, which flies in the face of my Titans hot take. But screw it. Giving it a buy it. You're nothing if not inconsistent. Hot take. Weird detective. Number one from Dark Horse. You know who I love? Fred Van Lanty. I love him too. I want to just hang out with him. I don't think that I say this enough, but this time he's teamed with artist Guiu. G-U-I-U. Anybody. Villanova. <laughs> for the adventures of Sebastian Green, a police detective that isn't what he seems. Like, literally, he's some kind of old one inhabiting the body of a human man. Ooh. While the human man is trapped in the body of the old one and freaking the f*** out. Okay. And they're, he's trying to keep the horrors of his world from seeping into our own. So it's like Freaky Friday. He's sort of. It's kind of like following the stories of the Martian Manhunter if he was stuck as Detective John Jones, trying desperately not to blow his own cover. This was awesome, and Villanova's art is great. Weird Detective gets a huge buy it. Of the week and the 
the sound of a young romantic getting folded in half and sucked down a toilet. I hate it when that happens. As seen in the pages of Weird Detective number one. If you want even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the scourge of the West Coast dollar bins, Aaron Myers and his ludicrous speed reviews. That was last week. What is he this week? Um, let's just leave it. <laughs> this week in the Sanctum Sanctorum, Joe and I are resorting to desperate measures to stop the ongoing reaping of Earth's greatest entertainers. Earlier this week... Marvin Lee Aday, better known as Meatloaf, collapsed on stage while performing in Edmonton and was rushed to a nearby hospital. Since then, Joe and I have been kosher killing My Little Ponies to use their blood for eldritch incantations that are maintaining Meatloaf's very life essence. Joe, our stable of anthropomorphic ponies is running dangerously low. Why don't you take a break, I'll sit in the pentagram and chant for a while, and you can tell these kids about your must-read pick next week if we're using it for black magic why do we have to be kosher because you hang them up by their ankle and slit their throat and it pours all over us while we sit in the pentagram and then spout our incantations oh yeah, so yeah. it's really more about the method yeah not just like getting the, the blood out of them is the important part <laughs> oh doctor my pick for next week is the sweetness number one from z2 comics written by miss lasco gross with art by kevin colden they are real life Husband and wife. Oh, it's thirty-two pages for three ninety-nine, and here is your solicit. Okay, time out. They're real. They're husband and wife, and her name is Lasso. Lasco hyphen gross. Lasco gross. So she's already got a hyphen. She's not Lasco hyphen gross. Lasco hyphen golden. Lasco hyphen gross hyphen golden. <laughs> she already had golden. two last names. Okay, whatever. Look, I mean, I don't know. Maybe her parents were hyphenated. Hey, man, I'm out of it. No judgment. <laughs> The Sweetness by wife and husband duo Miss Lasco Gross and Kevin Colden follows two badass female intergalactic smugglers of a mysterious controlled substance who cater to the unique tastes of alien drug addicts. Joe Patrick, you might be asking yourself, why on earth would you be picking this weird ass comic from a barely known publisher for your pick of the week? You love space and you love drugs. The Yes. <laughs> the answer to that question is... I am a big fan of Miss Lasco Gross, who is well known in indie circles for publishing a series of autobiographical graphic novels about her childhood. And she is an amazing storyteller. I don't know her. I was very surprised to see her name pop up on this bizarre sci-fi concept. Her name is Miss, M-I-S-S. Melissa. Oh, she goes by Miss. Okay, gotcha. Like I went to elementary school with a girl named Melissa who was everyone called Missy. Gotcha. But yeah, I was super surprised to see her name on the list as I had to pick it. I, I love her other work. I'm very curious to see what she does with like crazy, super high concept sci-fi fiction. All right. The sweetness, number one. There you go. Matt, what's your pick? Mine goes to Lucas Strand, number one from Boom. This is written by Kurt Suter with art by Jesus Hervas. 32 pages for three ninety nine. Here's your solicit. Lucas Strand is a military vet who can't reintegrate into society and has emotionally cut himself off from the people he loves. At his lowest, Lucas does something he can't take back. Hell comes a Colin, offering him the opportunity to make things right. Demons escaping hell are upsetting the balance of evil, and now Lucifer has recruited Lucas to send them back. It doesn't matter in what era the demons escape. World War II, old-timey Hollywood, Vietnam, present day. He must learn to fit in both the past and and the present. Given his new purpose, Lucas starts to rebuild himself, his life, and even as he struggles at the human cost that comes with it. This is Quantum Leap meets the Ghost Rider, basically, and it's written by Kurt Suter, 
creator of Sons of Anarchy. Yep. I think this is going to be nasty, mean, fun, and the art looks great. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Mythic Volume 1 Trade Paperback from Image Comics, written by close personal friend of the show, Phil Hester. We've never actually had him on the show. He loses a job every time we say that. Yeah. yeah. Art by John McRae. It's 248 pages for $16.99. They're giving it away. That feels like a lot of They're pages. They're giving it away. Here's your solicit. Science is a lie, an opiate for the masses. The truth is, magic makes the world go round, and when magic breaks, mythic fixes it. Apache shaman Watterson, Greek immortal Cassandra, and cell phone salesman Nate Jayadharma are assigned with keeping the gears of the supernatural world turning, and you from ever knowing about it. This collects mythic one through eight. Mythic is awesome. It is so good. And the premise is essentially like, yeah, I remember those old stories about how the sun uh, moved through the universe because it was being towed by a god right. on his giant chariot. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> it's cool. And so, yeah, Mythic is like S.H.I.E.L.D. and their job is to keep everybody ignorant of it and to make sure things run smoothly. Yep. It's wonderful. It's like the opposite of the X-Files. The opposite of the X-Files. Absolutely. Guys, after we clean up all this talking pony blood, we'd love to know what you nerds are planning to read next week. So head over to thnforums.boards.net and give us the skinny on your must-read picks. I couldn't do it, Matt. You you couldn't do what, Joe? I, I looked deep into Fluttershy's eyes and she was so sad and scared and they all had tears in their eyes. I set them free. I set them all free, okay? You fool! Beeps! Activate the non-lethal defenses! We need those ponies alive! I'll be back to deal with you later. If Meatloaf dies in the meantime, so help me! Once a month, our favorite salty sea dog, Da Orca, comes onto shore from the stormy waters off the coast of Maine to tell you nerds how to play the comic speculation game for keeps. In a little segment he calls Take the Money and Run, full disclosure, he sent this email in unprompted because we forgot to tell him it was his week and he wasn't sure. He knows what he's doing. And he said, oh, I was pretty f***ed up when I recorded oh, this. Boy. Okay, so if you have small children in the room, maybe put them to bed. Uh, so we don't know what it's bank them and send them out of the room. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. Hello, nerds. Welcome to Take the Money and Run, where we help you turn your comics into heroin vouchers. Cut. Hello, nerds. Welcome to Take the Money and Run, where we help you turn your comics into whore bait. Cut. Damn it. Hello, nerds. Welcome to Take the Money and Run, where we help you turn your comics into what Joseph is making me call cash. I'm your host, The Orca. I'd like to start today's episode with a quote, a brilliant pearl of wisdom from one of this country's historic leaders, George W. Bush, who once said, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I can't be fooled again. <laughs> What a piece of work that guy was, huh? F***ing dumbass. Whereas the boys upstairs have grown fond of saying, what an ass hat. What our simpleton president was trying to say, of course, that it's your own damn fault if you fall for the same trick twice. Well, 
The idiots that we hose on a regular basis in the comic community apparently haven't heard that phrase because they line up to get suckered again and again. And the jerks on the other end, the pump and dump hype experts responsible for probably 90% of the ridiculous prices we see nowadays in the comic market, exploit this very human flaw by hyping up books on what worked before. I've got four recent examples of this to show you, and they're all ideas that you should dig out and sell now. First up, Outcast. I mentioned this before in the answer of the week, but if you didn't get the hint then, get it now. Outcast is one of Robert Kirkman's series. It's pretty good. I like it. I bought and read every issue. I even watched the premiere on the YouTube. I like that too. Super creepy. But because it's Kirkman, and because it's horror, and because it's getting turned into a TV show, guess what everybody compares this to? Yep, Strawberry Shortcake. (laughs) Nah, of course I'm talking about The Walking Dead. All this hype and anticipation has caused this book to jump up in price onto eBay. I personally just sold issues 1 through 6 for $103. Here's the thing, this ain't The Walking Dead. It's not even close. For one... Issue number one had a print run of like 86,000 copies. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of comic books. The Walking Dead had a first print run of less than 7,300. For two, it's on Cinemax. Now that I don't love me some Cinemax, but not, not exactly ratings crushers. Anyone who thinks that this show's fan base will even be a fraction of the phenomenon that The Walking Dead has become are delusional or don't understand basic arithmetic. If you can get... $30 for issue one, or do what I did and sell a bunch of it, well, take the money and run. Next up, let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy number two. I like the first movie, everyone did, and the hype for the sequel is already building. There's a rumor that they casted someone to play Aisha, Paragon, her, whoever. People think back to Incredible Hulk 274, the first appearance of Rocket Raccoon which went from being a normal issue of Hulk from 1982 and turned into a $300 comic overnight. Now the pushes have gotten all behind Hulk Annual, Incredible Hulk Annual number 6 from 1977. A few weeks ago, this was a $10 back issue. Now it's a $100 plus wall book in near mint. One sold online for $250. It settled down a bit, but near mint one just went for 147 you can even get $50 for this book in, like, fine condition. If you got this, sell it. She ain't Rocket Raccoon. This is a third-tier villain. It might be a bit pot. Remember the Jose Canseco chick from Deadpool, Angel Dust? Her first appearance did a similar spike before that movie came out. But now, after the movie, a near mint just sold for $2.24. <laughs> Incredible Hulk annual number six, take the money and run. Okay, who remembers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 44? Donatello died. Spoiler alert, I guess I should have said that. It was some for $50 the very next day, except he didn't die. Well, this week, just this week, TMNT number 59 came out, and another key character died. Or did he? Hey, W., you want to help me out with this one? Fool me once. Shame on... Shame on you. Hey, fool me, we can't get fooled again. If you picked up Ninja Turtles this week, 
take the money and run. Finally, rebirth. Like Phil's life in the now classic City Slickers, it's one big giant do-over. People think, oh boy, we know that those number ones from New 52 did. He's going to just keep going up and up and up. But what if they don't? They might be cool stories. They might have interesting new ideas. But right now, when there don't seem to be enough to go around, a lot of these are selling for $15 just weeks after release. Look, if you bought them to read and you loved them, fine, keep them. They're yours. But if you bought them and liked them but don't need to go all golem on us, flip them for $10 each and use the proceeds to buy next week's books. St. Rocket Science. Till next month, kiss kiss nerds. Now get off your duff, take the panty removal devices and run. <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Father's Day episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that make your old man shake his head in disgust, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and just about anyone else you can find quality podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us your ratings, reviews, thumbs up, whatever they allow, because it helps get us in the faces of other potential listeners. In the ears, not their faces. But Yeah, I mean, we know that they're not viewers, Matt. That's a joke from Mike and Tom Eat Snacks. If you guys are familiar with that podcast, it's amazing. Cool. Mike and Tom Eat Snacks. We're running it's out of battery real quick here. So Michael <laughs> Ian Black from The State. Oh, yes. And Tom Cavanaugh from The Flash. It's great. Or from Ed. Uh, reviewing different junk foods. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you to all of our donors. You keep our fathers in bail money whenever we get arrested for starting drunken fistfights at Friday Night Magic. Happens more often than you think. Yeah. We're not even playing. <laughs> just show up to fight. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to help, what's su- up, nerds? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com and to become a sustaining member, simply click the "Make This Donation Monthly" box when you donate. Remember, as little as a dollar a month really helps us out. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN for your creative or business purposes, yeah. we do that sort of thing. Shoot us an email with the subject line, sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, head over to 2 nerd.com. You can find the links to all of our social contact info via Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, and more importantly, the Ziggurat Hotline. Memorize this number. Okay, you ready? I'm going to say it. It's going to go directly into your brain. Four, zero, two, eight, one, nine, four, eight, nine, four. Now you can never forget it and use it to answer wow. the question of the week. I'll or never forget it. You can play along with all of our other segments, Ask a Nerd, Comic Pushers, anything you want to do. Or you just call in and say, hey. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Guys, before we go on on a serious note, our weekly shout out goes to the LGBTQ and greater community of Orlando that it's been so supportive in the wake of this tragedy. Word to our brothers and sisters struggling to deal with this, with everything that's happened. And a giant middle finger to anyone that is trying to politicize the actions of a lone madman. We stand with you, Orlando. So sorry this happened. 
but I'm so proud of you guys for coming together and all you've done. And that goes for everybody that is celebrating Pride this week, everywhere across the United States and the world. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just vote for Trump. This out of spite is the two-headed nerd signing off. Four zero two eight one nine four eight nine four niner. Niner? Are you calling me from a walkie-talkie? <laughs> <laughs>